hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men and women are created equal. <laughs> Just kidding. Sorry. No. Uh, we're not all equal. Inequality, in fact, gets a ton of attention these days. President Obama called it, quote, the defining challenge of our time. But usually when people are talking about inequality, they're talking about income inequality. And income inequality is at its highest level since the Great Depression. Before taxes, the top 1% take home about 22.5% of the national income. Really think about that for a second. For every dollar paid in income in the U.S., almost a quarter of it goes to the top 1%. A quarter. But income inequality is actually less dangerous than its cousin, wealth inequality. The top 1% hold closer to 40% of the national wealth. So for every dollar in American assets, that's home, stock, savings, all that, 40 cents of it belongs to the top 1%. The top 1% holds more wealth in America than the bottom 90% of the country combined. And a lot of that money gets passed on to their children or their children's children. Take the heirs of Sam Walden, founder of Walmart. None of them founded Walmart. None of them were created equal either. The six of them have more than $140 billion in wealth. That makes those six people wealthier than the bottom 40% of Americans combined. Now, there's an upside to income inequality. That income is a reward for people who start their businesses and do great things. You can like income inequality, you can hate it, but at least it is money they earned in this lifetime, usually through talent or risk or hard work with a little bit of luck. But wealth inequality isn't like that. That money is often a reward for people who are just born into the right family. And it's money that keeps growing. That's a big point economist Thomas Piketty makes in his new book, Capital. The rate of the return on capital or wealth is higher than the growth rate of the overall economy. So people who have a lot of wealth, they tend to get wealthier and wealthier and wealthier unless something like a war or a tax intervenes. One way they get wealthier, by the way, is politics. A lot of money can buy you a lot of political speech, particularly now that the Supreme Court is systematically dismantling the limits on buying political speech. This is a doom loop of oligarchy. Wealth buys power, power buys more wealth, more wealth means more power, more power means more wealth, and on and on and on we go until a very small fraction of the population has a whole lot of the power and a whole lot of the money. So no, all men and women aren't born equal. Some are born really, really wealthy. Yo, what's good? So, man, what's up, McDonald? Yo, what up? That's some heavy stuff, bro. Yo, man, and that's just the tip of the iceberg. We didn't even get into, you know, just the whole history, but that's for later on in the show. We got a yeah. special guest with us. But, man, how you been, man? How's it been since the last time we were here? Man, I've been cooling, man. But uh, just, uh, I guess, uh, throughout the week, I've been thinking a lot about the conversation we had last week with our guest, Dahlia. And, um, man, it's especially now with, with COVID, and and these kinds of things happening and what we're talking about what we're referring to is the last show about you know the sexual assaults and those kinds of things as it relates to kids and how much of this stuff is going on right now um you know behind closed doors or even in the open you know family members are actually seeing it and no one's speaking up i hope that the conversation last week at least opened up people's eyes to be a little bit more sensitive and speak out and seek help you know if you're someone that's experiencing that right now I hope that the conversation that we had just empowered people to just seek the help that they need. Yeah, man. The Boosie episode was it was it was heavy, man. It was one of the yeah. heavier episodes that we did. Um, sexual assault, especially, um, you know, sexual violence uh, towards boys. We don't often talk about right. trafficking when it comes to young men, black boys, especially right. in our community. And I mean, not saying that it's. Um, worse or you know whether this happens to a girl or to a boy right. but um but like you said you know schools are the safe place for these children um that are victimized and you know you you shut down schools you shut down kind of like that safe place for them and now they're trapped with their predators so you know once again if anybody's watching the show and you know you need to reach out you need to talk to someone we'll put up all the information uh, so that we make sure that we're protecting the most vulnerable in our society. I just want to kind of shout out to anybody watching. Um, hit the like button. Hit the subscribe button. You For know, sure. this out every week. You can catch us on YouTube. You can catch us on the Raise Your Voice. Catch us on I Stack the Boss or Instagram <laughs> or whatever it is, man. So just uh, just hit us up, man. So yo, so I think one thing I wanted to mention. Uh, you mentioned one thing about maybe um, doing the audio version of this. 
and, and creating it and putting on an actual a podcast platform. So is there any, uh, I guess, progress for that? Where, where are we? Yeah, going? man. Yeah. You could catch us on, um, you could catch me on, not us, but both of us on Raise Your Voice. <laughs> I just uploaded like all of the podcasts, all of the episodes onto my podcast. Dope. So I'll share that link. And so everybody could have it so they can be driving and they can catch the episodes as well. I'll probably put it up here. So that you can find it. but basically on any streaming platform, iTunes. Um, I said iTunes, I'm dating myself. Podcast, <laughs> you can right. find it there and you can subscribe. And yo, awesome. we just want to keep putting out super dope content. And sure. we got some super dope content today, man. Yeah, your guest. What, what do you know? <laughs> I know, man. I had to come through, man. You was coming through with the whole fam you right, right. <laughs> fam you alumni. So That's right. shout out to fam you. Uh, you know. Other HBCUs, we call it on you. You need to represent. But fam, you came through. Thanks for um, bringing all of them through for the episodes. But tonight, we got my boy, uh, the reverend, the talented, the gifted, the intelligent, the genius, man, Edwin Robinson. I'm going to call him the jizzler because that's just how dope he is. <laughs> um, he's a dope community organizer and just a dope, brilliant mind. And this topic that we want to kind of pick up from, you know, from the from that episode when we did pay us what you owe us about reparations. Right. I think Edwin's got like a great uh, uh, idea in regards to how do we move black commerce and black, uh, uh, I guess, black money and destroying inequality amongst ourselves and for ourselves right. and by ourselves. But, yo, don't let me tell it. Let Edwin tell it, and so we about to bring him out. Bring, bring him out. out. Bring him out. Bring him out. Yo, my dude, what's up, man? What up? What up? How y'all doing? Yo, cool, good. yo, it's great to be here. I appreciate you all allowing me to be on the show. I'm trying to get my phone set up over here like an old man, so I can. Have <laughs> but no, I'm really excited to be here. Um, this is super dope, um, and just excited about the ha about having this conversation. Um, I just wanted to let the people know I ain't rich. So um, <laughs> we came on this show like thought you was gonna like flip some money real quick. I ain't Yo, we were gonna put your contact information up so they can reach out to you after the show to get a check. <laughs> facts, facts. So yo, Edwin, man, tell tell the folks a little bit about your platform and you know the work that you've been doing here in Dallas. Um, just just to give it some context. Sure. Oh, wow. Um, so I won't tell the whole story, but I've been in Dallas for about seven, on seven years now. I can't believe I'm actually saying that. Um, before here, I didn't live in any place more than two years uh, in my adult life. So um, Dallas has become, you know, my home uh, where I where I where I reside. Um, and so, you know, I really, I, you know, I, I, people introduce me as Reverend, but I usually say just my name is Edwin. You know, I use Reverend when it suits me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And, and that's because, you know, God has given me just the ability to be able to connect with people across all the different spaces in the city, um, you know, from South Dallas to Highland Park. You know what I mean? Um, and, and then God, uh, for, for whatever reason, um, allows pastors like yourself, uh, you know, Reverend Kalasar and Dr. Haynes and uh, Dr. Irie Session and Dr. Michael Green and Dr. Michael Waters and Dr. Kwesi Kamau and Fia Kennedy. I mean, this allows um, people like you all, you listen to me for whatever reason. Um, <laughs> um, and, and so I say all that to say, really what, we, what I do is just bring people together, man. We organize in order to move um, a collective agenda. Um, the truth is um, black people, we don't got all the money. Um, we, don't, we don't got... Um, but what we do have is each other. And I believe, man, if we can organize, uh, if we can do it, you know, um, our mother, Fannie Lou Hamer said, if we can take our power and combine it into a fist, right, we can strike a mighty blow. Um, but I'm, re I'm ready to strike a blow for our people, man. Um, and so I just been organizing black people, kicking it with black people and trying to figure out how black people gonna uh, make it, um, not just make it in this society, but thrive, right? And create uh, and do what we do, be creative, so. Yeah, yeah. So, so we had a conversation, I think, two weeks ago um, about the subject of reparations and getting an understanding of what it really truly means, what it means for black people as a whole and so forth. I think that that's a it's not an unrealistic goal, but it's a long term fight. Right. But in the meantime, 
I don't ever really hear conversations about what are we doing right now on the ground with the people and impacting people right where they are. Um, so when Jamie brought this conversation to me, I, you know, I guess I wasn't fully aware because I'm here in Dallas. I mean, I hear it well, I'm in Fort Worth. Let's let's delineate between the two because Fort Worth is Fort Worth and Dallas is Dallas. But <laughs> but I'm here locally and this was news to me, right? So this this was something that I had no idea was even taking place. Now, granted, you know, Jamie is connected in some way, shape, or form, but that was the first time I'm hearing about it. So can you give the people, I guess, an idea of what it is you guys are doing? Because we hear about organizing and all that all the time, but never hear what the end result or the action is behind the organization. Sure. Um, so one of the projects that we just got busy on is this project that we're calling Build the City. Um, and basically, we started with the premise that um, black people have everything we need to take care of ourselves right now. Um, you know, um, we're, we're pastors, we're preachers, um, we're Christian pastors. And so it reminded, it just reminded me of the story of Moses, you know, Moses is standing with, uh, you know, Pharaoh's army is behind him, the Red Sea is in front of him. And he's like, God, what the hell do I do? <laughs> and God is like, hey man, what's in your hand? Um, and he says, take what's in your hand, stretch it out. And he does that. Um, and, and even though, you know, the military might and economic power of Egypt is literally on his back and a real life geographical, um, you know, ge uh, yeah, ge uh, geographical uh, um, barriers in front of him, the Red Sea, somehow what's in his hand is, allow, is able to allow him and all his people, right, to make it to safety. And so that's kind of the idea, what's in our hand. And so me and Jamie have been talking for some time, you know, um, the congregation that he, that God has blessed him, the pastor, they have 40 acres of land, right? You know, go figure, 40 acres, right? And so right. we started talking some time ago about, yo, we want to do the 40 acre project. And we were just, you know, ripping on that. And then, you know, we were talking with, you know, my man, Derek and Bianca Avery with Core Holding, you know, um, and, and um, that powerful couple and just their developers. And we started bringing them in and saying, well, what can we do? And then we just started building. And then I was talking with Dr. Haynes. You know, I said, hey, man, we think about doing this thing called a 40 acre project. So I was on the phone. He was like, man, we got 60 acres. We want to get in too. And so, you know, we just started, we really, you know, we're not economists, man. We're none of that. We just black people that got some stuff in our hands. And we said, well, how can we start developing? And how can we start building in a way that's going to keep wealth in the black community. And so simply, you know, we could have been started this months ago. We could have just went and talked to our network, pulled in some investors and started building. But we've just been going month by month, man, because we want to bring the entire community along with us. We want churches and neighborhood associations and everybody in the community to be able to uh, build wealth, entrepreneurship, um, and build a sense of self as we build our own community. So that's it in a nutshell, there's so much to it, but that's that's the basic, the bottom line. It's black people saying, we gonna do what everybody else in the city seems to be doing. We gonna develop and we gonna make our, and we gonna ensure our people get paid while we do it. I mean, you know, we just we just doing what everybody else is doing. Keller Williams and all them cats. Yeah, so, yeah, so, yeah. So Edwin, yo, so why aren't like, what, what are your thoughts around why aren't other black churches in other states? Or I don't even know if they are or they aren't. But overall, the general, like, you know, McDonald's said, yo, I've never heard of this or, you know, nobody's talked about this. I'm sure this is not just, um, you know, just something that's happening. People like that, something like that just happened in Dallas. Why do you think black churches aren't like economic powerhouses in their communities and changing the community? Yeah, that's a big question. So, I, you know, I'm a history buff. Right. And so um, I, I can't. I can't stipulate to that whole statement, but because I will say, and I've always said, you know, there's only four institutions that have withstood, four black institutions that have withstood every attack of white supremacy in this country. And that is the black church, HBCUs, the nation of Islam, right? And then some people would say the black press and media, right? As much as we can keep it. And I say that even though they may not be thriving and all that sort of stuff all the time, but we've been able to maintain them and have them be wholly black. And so I say that to say, again, we're not really doing anything that black people haven't always done. It's just that the other thing that black people always do is we know, we understand the art of the remix, 
we understand that every round has to go higher and higher. And so for every generation, we got to we gotta be able to reach back, take those principles, remix them and build on top of them, right? That's why you can listen to Curtis Mayfield, right? And you hear, you know, what you hear the new tracks now, right? Yeah, yeah. It's the same thing. Um, we got to take, you know, the AME Church. They own so much land. They did this. They, they do it now. They own all their land, all their churches, right? Mm. And so I said, I'm saying this to say, this is something that we are doing. It's just that I think maybe this is just a new flavor on it. You know what I mean? And I'm not saying that I'm the only one. There's probably people doing this all over the place, right? That we don't even know about. But it's really what it is. We're just taking what we have now, reaching, uh, grabbing our roots, and just adding a little different flavor to it. That's it, man. Mm. So I have a question about uh, about the whole thing. So um, churches. So we meet, you know, every week, every Saturday, every Sunday, and so forth. And there's doctors, lawyers, uh, bankers. Uh, accountants, I mean, just every profession under one roof, right? But for so long, I've never understood why why churches have no problem with telling their congregation, you know, who to vote for, when to vote, how to show up, you know, bring people to the polls, all these things, right? Like just basically getting into conversations that for so long, black churches have shied away from. Why do you think there is such a reluctance to, I guess, go that deep to talk about some of the things that you're talking about from the pulpit when you have the masses gathered in one building? Why do you think there's such a reluctance? Well, again, I'm going to have to push back because I'm a history buff. <laughs> um, I, I don't think that that's I don't think that there's a reluctance in the black church broadly. Um, I think black people are always talking about politics. We're just talking about the politics that are relevant to us. Um, black people are always talking about money and always talking about these things. We just talk about it differently. It, I think it seems like white people um, are talking about it more or are more effective at it. I mean, but it's because they it's their game, right? And so they're having inside baseball conversations about the game that they created, right? Mm -hmm. the conversations that we're always having are about what, the, what, what game is this? Right? Yeah. <laughs> right. And so uh, we're having, so we're having those conversations. We are politically active. We're all those things. I just think that again, for every generation and you'll see it, right? Black, the black church has always found a way, whether it was Frederick Douglass, the journal of truth, whether it was, you know what I mean? Um, you know, King and, you know, it was, you know, we've always found a way to, to be center stage in the conversation and we're doing it now. That yeah. was clergy, Reverend Barber. I mean, so I, I think we are doing it. I just think that we're having different conversations. And well, yes. Yeah, so well, well, may, well, maybe I'm asking you from the standpoint of maybe right. the Seventh-day Adventist church. Right. So maybe we're the anomaly. Yeah. And, and that's the perspective that I have and that I never really hear it. Yeah, and I think that's what I was going to jump in. I think, um, I think McDonald, you are you're absolutely right. You know, and I can speak to that from the Seven Day Adventist context. It's like we we've been taught to be we've been taught to separate church and state, and right. that means that the church should never get involved in political matters. Now, that's great if you're a white church, you know, or you're a predominantly white congregation and you're not faced with systematic injustice, you're not faced with wealth inequality, uh, you know, all your members have rooftops and that stuff. That's a wonderful message. But, you know, for, for black Adventist churches, man, they are, they fit right into the category that you're talking about, McDonald. We are yeah. totally apolitical and we do not get nowhere near that stuff. So, so I would say, like, I guess, you know, to your point, there absolutely are churches, right? So, you know, it's just when we say the black church, it's such a broad, big thing. I right, know. right. So I'm like, wait a minute. You know, the black church has always had our hands on the wheel of, you know, social change. We got the receipts to prove it. Um, but, you know, there are denominations, right, that were created for the sole intent to some degree, right, of pulling people away from public life. Um, and, and for whatever reasons, right? And so when you pull, when you pull people away from public life though, then we're missing a whole, we're missing one of the biggest parts of like our faith is to be in relationship with people in public life. And so, um, and so we, I mean, we all have to figure those things out inside our denomination. So we don't got to get to that conversation, but, um, I would just simply say, um, and I think even black people in the Adventist church are having the conversations. You're just having them differently. 
there's you we don't escape politics it's everywhere it's all around us man people are having the conversations we're just having them differently and part of the thing about being an organizer is learning to listen to multiple modes of communication and, right. and what people are saying and how they're saying yeah Edwin, man, um, talk about this thing, beloved community. So, you know, when I mention that sometimes to some people, they have no idea where that comes from. And they'll be like, yo, when did you make that up? And I'm trying to tell them, <laughs> yo, that joint been around. Not a new concept. <laughs> Go Google it. You know, MLK spoke extensively about it. So mm -hmm. what I know you, what you're trying to do is you're doing beloved community, which leads to a beloved economy. But I don't think you can have one without the other. So for the folks, let them know, like, what is this? you've wrapped your head around this thing called beloved community. Yeah, yeah. So it's a real evangelical statement to make, man. So, you know, um, so it, it makes sense to, you know, it makes sense to faithy people. And so since we talk to faithy people, you know, it's good words for them. But, you know, beloved economy, man, it's a metaphor for black utopia. Just We can call it, you know, we can call it Wakanda. We can call you can call it whatever you want. You can call it, you know, that moment when you at the cookout and everybody you know what I mean? Is wobbling in sync with the plate in their hand, right? <laughs> Whatever that feeling of this is it. This, I, I feel safe. I feel secure, right? I feel like my people got me. I may not have everything I need, but I mean, I have everything I want, but I have everything I need, right? Mm -hmm. And it's fundamentally it, man. It's, it's, and it's so hard to explain because it's, it's, it's like the children of Israel having to or uh, having to explain the promised land, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like, you know, Moses is like, hey, we're gonna go to this spot. Well, where's this spot? Oh, it's called the promised land. Well, ain't no GPS coordinates for the promised land. And the right. promised land, right, it's not like, so, so you're just walking to this place because there's this feeling, there's this reality that there is some, there is some place that we can create that is for us, where mm -hmm. there will be safety and security where, um, you know, there will be no more weeping, no more gnashing of teeth, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, um, people will have what they need and we'll be able to um, love each other. And, and I'm not talking about perfectly, um, perfectly imperfectly, we'll be able to, that's the yeah. community. And you saying that the black church has, uh, black people have that already. Oh, that we, don't, we don't have to go get it from somewhere. Absolutely, man, we have everything we need, man, look. I'm not, you know, we I can we can talk about this historically, but let's just stay right in the moment, man. There's more black wealth in this country than there's ever been in the history of this country, right? We got a black billionaire named Jay Z that came from the Marcy Project. I don't care what you think about Jay Z, he is he's a dope boy that's now a billionaire <laughs> in the country, and everybody got to listen to him. So I don't, you you see what I'm saying, like. We there's there's you know um, we 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 have Barack Obama and we got you know we have uh, Michelle Obama and I you know I'm not gonna start naming names but we know who we got we we have political power that we've never had before we have black political action committees and black um, non we have we have so much black power man but right now our power's like this that's right it. our power's just like this and so we that have was to figure out how to go from here to here. Well, that's what I was going to ask. So, so in practical terms, how do you steer that ship? Because if the conversation is already happening somewhat, you already kind of have a plan as far as how to execute it. But then, how do you get the people to come together to execute that? Man, look, you love people. There's, ain't you? You love people, and you keep going. The simple thing is, look, black people have PTSD in this country because we should, um, and and black people have PTSD with trusting one another. Because, you know, when I show up, I look like they, you know, they uncle or they nephew or they little brother, somebody who asked for money. You know what I mean? Um, all these sorts of things. Right. Um, but the reality is, you know, we got to learn how to love each other. And I think that's where the church comes in. That's where I, I think that that's one of the reasons why God, you know, uh, sent me in the direction of being a pastor. And I, you know, went through the process of being a pastor because pastoring people, you learn to love them. And so it's no there's no. There's no magic pill to this thing. It's it is having a vision, um, um, moving forward on that vision, and and loving people as much as you can and bring them into it. But we got to keep going. So it's either you know hop on hop on the ship, jump on you know whatever metaphor we want to use. Um, but if you don't, we love you and we want to keep on going. Um, and if later on you decide, hey hey, I want to hop on. If you're black, hey, the door is always open for you. Um, that's the only, that's the way to do it, man. We just got to get to work. 
And I know I know that sounds so, but it just is. You just got to get to work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So somebody put a question up here. It's kind of going back to what we were talking about before. And, you know, Mark Dulcey, shout out to Mark. He wants to know why is it that Republicans are painted as the ones that are Christians and Democrats are the Antichrist? Because Christianity in America belongs to the Republican Party. <laughs> mm. I mean, it just is what it is, right? Mm -hmm. And so if you're a Christian who doesn't want to be associated with the Republican Party, then take up your cross, Christian. Yeah. I mean, and I'm not saying that to him directly. This is to all of us, right? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But the react that is just the reality. Why is it? Because it is. Um, if we look at, if, we, if you uh, overlay a heat map, of um, Republican, you know, voting and overlay a heat map of uh, evangelical Christians in the country, it, it literally overlays perfectly. So there's no, it, we can't act like it does. It's not the reality. That's the reality. If you claim Christianity and you don't want to be a Republican, you will have to defend yourself yeah. until, until we do better, until we raise up more disciples who are not um, you know, of the Republican Party or of the Democratic Party. Yeah. So I have a question, and this is probably leaning more so towards the gentrification conversation. So there are a lot of black people that own homes in communities that where these clusters exist, right? Where you can have the most impact. A lot of these people are being convinced to sell their homes. Like what plan, I guess, what part of your plan addresses that piece of it? Man, yo, um, I, I think the, this is going into the financial education and and uh, political education parts of that, right? Um, that's such a very specific thing, man. Um, you know, I think the biggest part is we're really going to have to literally reframe our minds towards assets and wealth, um, and we're going to have to teach that um, in our communities, and we're going to have to teach it. We're going to have to preach it. We're going to have to figure out how to read our text and figure out how to preach it. Um, but we're going to have to change the hearts and minds of people because people are making decisions, um, not because they're stupid, um, some some out of ignorance, but also some out of necessity. You know what right. I mean? Cats need money now. Right. Yeah. So if I you know what I mean, if my kids need to eat today, I got to do what I got to do. Right. right. And so, um, and so I think that, you know, we're still going to experience a lot of this until we're able to collectivize our power and do this long enough um, that we're trusted enough that people are willing to um, buy into the concept, man. Um, and, and I don't and black people don't just believe you because you say you got good ideas. So I'm not expecting any of them to. I, I thank God for all the black people like Reverend Callisar and others who jump in just knowing all we got is a dollar and a dream. Um, <laughs> So, but once we actually start showing people, once people see dirt moving, people see buildings coming up, people continue to see that. Um, I, I know black people, man. You know, once we see it, we'll believe it, and, and we'll have a we'll have a great army that we'll be able to. Right. So, go, go ahead, Jamie. Go ahead, go ahead. Go ahead. You you are you are ready? Yeah. So it was so it's still part of that conversation. So I live in the suburbs, right? Mm -hmm. So, what's my incentive for leaving where I am right now? You know, decent school. You know close proximity to my job, everything that I want and need is kind of in this area. So what's my incentive for moving into the community, the black community where all the help is actually needed, where we can pool together our powers and all this. So what's my incentive for doing that? Yeah. Well, people that think like that. Yeah. Do you want to be wealthy? I mean, wealth is not built, you know what I mean? Um, playing, playing a game that was never built for us to make wealth. You see right. what I'm saying, right? Like a few of us may make it, but you know, it's not, that's not the game. It's not created for us to succeed. And mm -hmm. so, but then, but then there's also, I, I'm very clear. I'm not trying to convince nobody to get rich. Mm -hmm. And I'm not trying to convince black people to help black people. I'm not in that business. If, if I got to convince you to leave the suburbs, I don't want you stay in the suburbs, do what you need to do up there. It's probably more comfortable for you. Because what mm -hmm. I don't want you to do is coming to the hood while we're trying to build and you calling the cops on Pookie and them because they got the music too loud. I don't, mm -hmm. need, that. I don't need that drama. So stay right. where you are, keep building, and once we have something that's to your liking, we'll charge you market rate to come on down too. Mm -hmm. I mean, look, like, 
that we it's enough of us that want to be there that we ain't got to convince people that don't want to be there but i don't think it's necessarily from the standpoint of not wanting to be there right so if it's because this is the education gap Sure, maybe maybe folks may not understand the incentives to do so, right? So if it is a comfort zone and not really understanding the vision as to why they should be looking at potentially, you know, because if you have uh, more affluent people moving into those types of neighborhoods, the schools get better, uh, you know, crime rate goes down and all that, right? So I think it's a gap of education and not necessarily knowing what it is, right? So I just told you at the beginning of this conversation that this whole thing was news to me, right? Now, Jamie knows me. If I hear about something like this and I see that there's a benefit to our people, then yes, I mean, that's something I would be on board about. But if I don't know about it, right, then why I would can I dig Was that? Yeah, yeah I can dig it. I, I'd say, look, I, I agree with you um, that there are cats like you, right? Mm -hmm. But people leave the hood for a reason mm -hmm. and don't come back for a reason, right? Like, I'm not, look, I love my people. I love black people and I'm gonna keep it all the way funky all the way 100, 100 all the way around. It's mm -hmm. a whole lot of hazards in the suburbs because they don't want to be around black people. Like, <laughs> right. you know, let's, let's, let's not act like it ain't the truth, right? right, right. Or, you know, there's right. you out in the suburbs and that's not your mentality. Well, come on, man. Cats move out there because they're trying to get away from black people and they're trying to get away from black problems. And the truth is, just because wealthier black people come into the hood, that doesn't mean it's going to be better because crime goes down because they try to create a suburban white space and black space because that's all they know. And we don't need that. What I'm, I, so I'm not, what I'm not saying is, what I'm not saying is there aren't people who are in the suburbs who are in those spaces who will do it. And to that end, I think that's one of the reasons why we work with churches, um, particularly and work with the spaces where to your point, all the black people come, right? So mm -hmm. like you're at City Temple, we're at, you know, there are, there are all the black people at Friendship West and all the black people come to Impact Church, right? Mm -hmm. And so if you hear about it and you jump on it, then, it, and if it's good, then you need to be a good disciple and go tell it, right? But mm -hmm. to my point, um, we don't need to be trying to convince um, black people that helping black people is a good idea. Right. So that was kind of like what my my question was going to be this. So Edwin, in your brain, in your brain, who do you think is the biggest threat to this building, this beloved community? Is it is it the black? It, can it be the black church that wants to stay in the way that it is? And you know, and I'm, when I say black church, I'm talking about the ones that are anti-community that just are in impoverished communities, but they're so uh, self-absorbed. Or is it um, the American? capitalistic uh, foundation that this country is based on. What do you think is the biggest threat to uh, this whole black utopia that we're, that we're thinking about creating? I, I think the biggest threat is us not knowing ourselves and respecting who we are as black people. Mm. I think that's actually the biggest threat. I don't think it's that, like, black people have survived every single freaking attack of white supremacy in this country. And we got a dope boy who's a billionaire and we got a black president who is a community organizer. So, you know what I mean? Like, um, I'm, I, there, I don't think, I think that people um, attack black people, absolutely. And I absolutely think there are threats to black people. So I'm not saying that at all. But to your point about this, I think the only threat is us not knowing ourselves, us not realizing how brilliant and how excellent we actually are, us not realizing that we we are the culture, not just saying it and making it cute so we can send, you know, an IG post, but actually owning our own content like Nipsey Hussle and creating vertical integration from the ground up. You know what I mean? Um, we're so much land in Dallas. Like, you know, um, and I'm not saying why don't we, because I hate when people say that. But it's like, how do, when do, how do we, and when do we begin to use some of these projects, create these community gardens, have our produce, like Bonton Farms in Dallas is black people's land that God bless the white people who came in, right? And put some money into it and help to function it. And I, because I, and I really appreciate it, right? Yeah. But, but nevertheless, Bonton Farms is black people who were farmers. It's our land, it's our produce. I'm saying all this to say, we have everything we need. The only thing stopping us from doing anything in this city in particular, in particular in North Texas, is us not trusting one another enough to come together, 
build on one another's plans and actually do something in the same direction. Right. right. Yeah. Black people always think somebody else ice is colder than ours. Exactly. And somebody else has to do it for us. Yep. Go ahead, McDonald. You had so, something to say. So what's so what's the first phase, I guess, of this this rollout? What what do you envision it looking like? I guess what does that look like? Sure, man. We we've actually, you know, there's a DMN article. We we've rolled this out in the community and we've been doing community meetings every month uh for the last four or five months, six months. I can't even remember how long now. Yeah. Uh, but we've been doing community meetings consistently. Um, um, we have a, we put together a strategy team now and, um, we're working on our executive summary. We're going to be, um, uh, pitching, uh, to local funders. Uh, we're going to be putting some things to uh, national banks. Um, you know, right now we're in the process of, um, trying to raise the $2.2 million, uh, in capital, um, that, that we need, uh, before we actually go to the banks and go to the city and try to pull in grant, the, the sort of, uh, grant funding and all that sort of stuff to get to the 22 million that we need to actually begin to build the project. Um, but you know, to that point, um, so when you say like, where are we at, you know, right now we're just getting all of our mechanisms in place so that when we, uh, roll out on the scene and we start coming to you all saying, Hey, do you want to be a part of this? Do you want to invest in it? That we have all the platforms set up. Everybody knows where the money is. Ain't nobody scared that somebody won't be using nobody's money for nothing crazy. Um, and everybody can see the vision. We got all our mock-ups. We just want to make sure that it's uh, excellent uh, from, from the door when we come out. Um, and and um, in the meantime, we're organizing. We're having conversations with more congregations. We're bringing students. We're going to be bringing students into the conversation. Um, we're going to be just bringing more and more people into the conversation so that when we really put it out there, it's a thing that is really the black community has come together as much as possible, right? Um, um, to put this together. So so that's where we are, man. We're we're just we're getting it all we're getting it all together. So if people want to invest, if people got ideas, man, holler at me, man. We we we're trying to we're trying to win. So Quincy man, Aaron Quincy Brown, shout out to your question. He wants to know what are some of the psychological barriers we have to overcome individually and as a people to make this happen. Yeah, inferiority. That is the biggest one. Um, you know, uh, I can quote so many authors, but you know, we don't need to do all that. But I think, you know, like I got black people on my walls, there's black people all over my stuff. I wear black people on my shirt. Um, it's because I'm black um, and I love being black. Um, and and we have, to, we have to start to love being black again. Because, uh, and we've always been being pushed to it, right? This is a consistent thing. This has never yeah. stopped in history. We can go, there's so many people that came before me saying the same exact things, right? So I'm parroting at this point. But but we gotta love being black. And that, and like, that's just the, once we love being black again and, and get over this inferiority complex that we gotta have the beautiful things that fall out of the garbage of white folks, um, <laughs> Then, then we'll start. Then, then white people will become less um, relevant in our everyday lives. And the less relevant they become in our everyday lives, the more we begin to love ourselves and build and do for us. Mm. Yeah. So, man. So, McDonald, this is actually going back to that rise conversation we had about education, and I'm going right. to tie both them together. Um, where does this self hate come from? Where does it start? So, does it start in the American public school of how our children are taught, um, TV with the continual um, images of skinny, blonde, white girls, straight hair as the image of beauty. Like, does is having our kids in public schools detrimental to our black uh, superiority or just, I mean, just, you know, self-love. Let me just simplify it to yeah. our self-love. Yeah, yeah, because I don't think you meant superiority. Yeah, uh, yeah it's because it's not about us. It's not about us in relationship to anybody else. It's about black right. in relationship to ourselves. Right. Um, other people are irrelevant. But when you ask where it starts, I mean, of course, slavery. Um, and then um, how we see it showing up consistently, though, right? Um, I think it's, you know, we're, it's all the things you said. We're bombarded with it every day. You know what I mean? Um, I, I actually don't think that it's good for black people to have to be a part of any white institution, um, period. That doesn't, but just because I don't believe that it's good for us to have to be a part of white institutions doesn't mean that I also am not aware that we have to be a part of white institutions, right? Um, mm -hmm. I graduated from Duke, you know what I mean? So, 
Um, um, I, I think that those, what's interesting is, um, maybe, maybe if I say it this way, I realized it took me five years to graduate high school, right? And I realized um, that part of the reason was um, that school is set up to teach us a system that was created for white people to make sense of the world and control it. It had nothing to do with learning. It had nothing to do with exploration. It had nothing to do with any of that. It had everything to do about teaching us a system. And so because I'm black and because my DNA is such and because I'm a little bit of a rebel, I always push back against the system because the system did not make sense to me. And so and so that wasn't that didn't mean I wasn't learning, you know, my 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 arithmetic and reading and all that. It's just that they put me in a system that that made me small. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that that's what happens to black people in all the systems, whether it's when we're going to work, if we're going to white churches. If we're, you know, when we're going to school and our teachers are white, you know, God bless them. And even when they try, I just think the reality is they, they, they're trying to teach us a system that keeps us small. And we have to be able to have spaces where we can just see ourselves break out of that system and be able to go back and forth and feel complete. Yeah. And that's how I kind of feel, too, about the adventist system that I think like my theological training and I use the word training, emphasis on training was <laughs> to continue to support this support the the system you know so there was no like we never read howard thurman we were not encouraged to read like mlk books and stuff like that we were just really encouraged to be trained how to protect the organization protect this message and just keep it going that way so that's why sometimes i'm a rebel because i you know i i go straight when the when there's a fork in the road i'll just keep going straight onto something like that and so i see what you're saying about there's a difference between education and training people and so black people trying to make sense within this white context and we're just like you know trying to figure figure it out and it, and it just doesn't so it's like even when we ask so like the question the the big you know theme is like the new black wall street right and so even like you know i, I say that to say right so i was explaining i was talking about the build the city project with this um with this um white colleague of mine who's an org who's a community organizer and and she was just like oh my gosh this is so awesome you know this is so dope she was like, I just want to, you know, can you just talk to me more about this black economics? And I said, what you mean by black economics? And she said, no, yeah, like this. But I said, this is just economics. Right. Mm -hmm. I said, yeah. I mean, it just happens to be black people doing it. So, yeah. Right. And so it's like when we're talking about this idea of even like the new black Wall Street, because I even know where y'all were coming at it from. Right. But even saying it on this tip, it's like. This is fundamentally black people entering into economics as black people. Mm -hmm. and that's what's so different because the way that people, that way that we've been given to enter into economics is not with love, not with a family, not with understanding kinship, not with understanding um, um, having one another's back. We've been told to enter into the economy with a cutthroat, kill or be killed, get it, you know what I mean? I gotta secure the bag before anybody else does mindset. And that's just not who black people are. It's not us. Right. And so this, all this is, is we're gonna enter into the economy, but we're gonna enter it in, we're gonna enter into it in a way, one with our eyes wide open, right? But enter in, into it in a way where we're gonna lift each other up as, and so that you might be able to knock down one or two of us, but you ain't gonna be able to get us all when we lock arms. Mm. And, and I think that, that that's the difference. So what's the what's the I guess the educational aspect of I guess because part of part of empowering people is to get them to understand exactly what it is that they're participating in. So what's the educational educational aspect of this that people will be able to at least learn a little bit more about not necessarily just the benefits, but just the entire process and really buying into it? What does that look like? Man, can you, that's a big question. Can you ask it? And uh, can you, can you, <laughs> right? educational, wow. There's, Cause there's so much to teach. Um, um, yeah. Can, can you make it, make it a little smaller for me? So I don't. Well, so, so my, my biggest fear, whenever there are big ideas like this that involve change or shifting or paradigm shift in the way that we think, I always defer to the educational aspect of it. Sure. And, because you can't really convince someone or you can't really change the way they think unless they understand what it is that they're getting themselves into. So I guess what I'm asking is 
what's the aspect of this big plan that's that's going to address the the knowledge gap? I guess is what oh, I'm asking. Absolutely. So I, I'm actually so there's a couple of different things, and I'll I'll start with something like really concrete, and then I'll kind of move to something a little sure, more sure. But like really concrete, uh, actually myself along with uh, um, uh, Reverend Dr. Willie Dwayne Francois the third. He has a very long name. Uh, but that's my homeboy. Um, um, he's the president of the Black Church Center. And then um, my sister and my thought partner, uh, Phyllis Hill, who's a national organizing director for Faith in Action. Um, we're actually working on um, a, um, a, uh, a curriculum right now or a set of curricula um, that, in our, our opinion, we say we're trying to get Dave Ramsey out of our churches. Um, and, and so we're working on a curricula um, that is about um, a curricula that is about Jesus, about Christianity, but it's about Jesus as Jesus, the economy um, and, and really trying to talk about the economy in a different way, trying to talk about money in a different way um, um, and, and just a new sort of futuristic way. So that's one of the tools, um, very concrete tools that we're trying to put together because people got to be taught. Um, um, and then the other thing is um, having pastors uh, preach um, about the economy. Um, uh, Dallas Black Clergy, we've been doing this series called Pastor in a Pandemic. Um, and we've done a couple of them, um, um, but they've all been around the economy. And so not only have we been, you know, having conversations with our resident economist, uh, Dr. Michael Green of Paul Quinn College, um, but we've been having pastors like, you like, you know, Reverend Jamie Callisar and others um, actually preach little sermonettes on, on the economy and on a new economy, on an economic bill of rights, on the beloved economy. Um, because how will they hear if there's not a preacher, right? Um, mm -hmm. So those are some of the other things that we've been doing, trying to get it into our congregations and, and get it taught on a consistent basis. And so, then, yeah, go ahead. No, 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 go ahead. Finish your last point. Um, oh, no, 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 no. That, I'll just stop right there with some of the concrete things because, I, you know, I can I can ramble. So I'm going to stop right there. On the All right. So, so I have to jump in because I need you to. So you probably just stepped on a few toes, man, when you said get Dave Ramsey out of our churches. Yeah. Like, you already know, man. Folk, folk, black church loves them. Dave Ramsey. We yeah. having seminars. We paying a thousand dollars for them kits. Charging our people to buy them kits. So I why do? What's your problem with Dave Ramsey, yo? So look, here's the issue with Dave Ramsey, right? Um, yeah. I don't have beef with Dave Ramsey. Yeah. Um, um, because Dave Ramsey wasn't thinking about black people when he put his program together. Mm -hmm. uh, black people went out and got Dave Ramsey, and we brought him into our church. Mm -hmm. um, and so my beef ain't with Dave Ramsey uh, mm -hmm. um, so much. My beef is um, with the fact that um, we haven't, in all this time, we haven't realized that Dave Ramsey was not thinking about Black people when he created his curricula. Right. <laughs> his curricula is based upon a household economic principle that assumes um, starting at um, what um, um, Samuel DeWitt Proctor uh, the Reverend Dr. Samuel DeWitt Proctor would call starting above the scratch line. Um, you know, we always start, you know, starting from scratch, right? Mm -hmm. um, so his curricula assumes that the people who are taking it are either at scratch, right, or above scratch. So what then happens is there are certain suburban black people or black people who have, you know, who have gotten, you know, some maneuvering who are able to then take that material, right, and make it work for us because we've either made it to scratch, right, or we're above. But the truth is, most of us are starting, as Reverend Dr. Samuel DeWitt Proctor would say, below the scratch line. And so we cannot have an economic um, 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 curricula that assumes that I'm starting from a place that I never was. Um, we, we need a new curricula that, uh, that starts from a new place because it's probably going to take me to a different destination. Right. So I think so. Let's 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 stay there for a little bit. Right. So. I, so I think somebody in, in the uh, comments just asked a, a more in-depth question about it. But I think uh, hearing that, I always want to hear the alternative, right? Not just saying just in general that, yeah, you need a new curriculum. But what does that look like for people that's living below the scratch? Yeah, it's Afrofuturism, man. It doesn't exist, bro. This is Bruce D. Collins. This is Parliament Funkadelic, man. You got to get in the mothership and be able to kind of ride on out with us on this one. And I'm dead serious. Um, this is not something that we're going to, that like, oh, we can reach back to that time when it doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. It's about us figuring out how, like building upon all the things that black people have done in this country, going back 
to Garvey, going back to Elijah Muhammad with the NOI and what he was able to do with building black wealth, going back to the AME church and what they were able to do in land acquisition. This is going back and being able to, and then bringing those things into the present, being able to piece them together, build on that thing and create a sound that sounds familiar, but you know it's new. It's kind of like when you hear, when you hear like, you know, um, 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 California Love or any of, you know, any of Dre's beats, right? Where he's sampling, you're like, that sounds familiar, but it's new. And that's really what I'm saying. And and I wish that I could be like right now, okay, so this is what we're gonna do, y'all. Start with principle number one, we gonna, it just don't exist, man. So we gotta get in the mothership. We gotta put some really smart black people in the room and some black people that care about black people, understand economy, understand um, all the sorts of things and then begin to uh, create something new. So Edwin, um, the the Dallas Black clergy, right? And the group that you've been working with extensively, myself and a few other pastors, why did you choose to go to Avenue of the Church to kind of lead this message versus going to like Black Chamber of Commerce or you know just different groups of individuals? Why through the church? Yeah, man, because um, smart organizers start with their own constituency. I'm a pastor. Um, and so I went and organized churches because that's who I know. And that's who I feel responsible for. Um, if I was a if I was a black businessman, I would have went and organized the Chamber of Commerce and the NAACP and all that. If I was a black doctor, I would go and organize, you know, black medical, you know, the Black Medical Association. If I was an engineer, I would go and organize, you know, the black engineers, right? Um, I'm a pastor. I'm a preacher. Um, it's what I went to school for is what God called me to. Um, and not only that, God called me. I'm bigger than that, right? But it's a part of my identity. It's a big part of my identity. Not only that, I grew up in the church. And I tell people this, and I say it all the time. Um, the church was the community center. The church was the place where you could play the drums and act in the school play and learn all the things that the white school wouldn't allow you to do. You could do it in the church. You could do it in the black church. And so that's where our gifts were always cultivated and always lifted up. I'm not saying we always got it right. I'm not even saying that we get it right all the time now. But what I am saying is um, what I said before, there's only four institutions that have withstood the test of white supremacy in this country. And the black church is one of them with major receipts. And we would be foolish not to use it um, to, to move us to uh, to liberation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's dope. So walk me through the your dream man. what is your vision you know when, when and i'm saying you know when this is completed like how does it look you know what do you see um you know happening in the next two years five years down the road what what is your ultimate vision yeah man i you know i i just that's so hard man uh ultimate vision is so big um you know ultimate vision maybe i'll start there i just want to i want i want black people to be able to just have agency uh in this country um, and that's it. Um, I just want people to leave us alone um, and let us live. Um, and so that's my ultimate goal. Um, that, and that doesn't mean that life is going to be easy. Um, and that doesn't mean that um, everybody's going to take take hold of that. But um, I, I'm working towards that day. Um, more more tangibly, more you know, close to you know the next couple of years. Man, I really just hope to see um, you know Dallas. I still I call Dallas the Wild Wild West, man. Um, you know Dallas. Uh, mm -hmm. Uh, markets itself real well, um, um, but Dallas is still, you know, uh, really just um, um, a, a little boom town, you know what I mean, that's trying to figure itself out. And so because of that, I think we have an opportunity, particularly in this city, um, to, to put our mark on it and decide what Dallas is going to be. And so my hope is that over the next five years or so, that um, Dallas is seen as one of the black meccas of this country, um, because black people have have um, We've built our own property. We uh, we have our own wealth. We have our own stores. We have our own rest. We have our own space. Um, and that doesn't mean white people can't come and spend their money. Um, that just <laughs> and, you know that doesn't mean they can't come and kick it with us and hang out. It just means that they don't get to have agency in the spaces that we get to create for ourselves because we own. Them. Yeah, yeah. So so McDonald is he's not a pastor. He's a hardworking <laughs> black man. How does McDonald get involved in what's happening? Like to be a part of the the process. Yeah, and man. Anybody else? Absolutely. The first thing what I tell people, I, I'll tell you what at the first man, Jamie, you were there. The first meeting we had at City Temple, I said like I tell everybody else, if you like what you hear, go tell it. 
Mm -hmm. That's it. That's how you get involved. Go tell it. Because the truth is, this isn't, you know, this is going to be really, really hard work and it's going to take a long time. You know, we're not going to be able to figure this out quick. And so um, the first thing to do is just get enough, get more and more people, you know, interested in wanting to do something like this. That's the first step. And then we and then we come and we do just like the children of Israel did and just like everybody else always does. Just bring your gifts. What do you got? Bring it to the table and then say, hey, how, how can this be used? Um, and then we'll all sit around the table together like Acts 2 and we'll figure it out. Um, but no one will be in, uh, in, in need. No one will be uh, no, no one will lack anything. I mean, everybody will have what they need. And so the truth is, just like anybody else, man, if you like what's here, go tell it. You can go to our website, Dallas Black Clergy. You can look at our Build the City. You can look at all the work that we've been doing. Um, and so if you like what you see, man, just tell it. You know, most people be like, oh, you know, can I meet with you and pick your brain? And that's cool, but like, it's too many of y'all for me to meet with uh, everybody and have everybody pick my brain, and that's really painful. So, um, so like, check out the information, read it, you know, and then if you like it, like, just sincerely go tell it, man. Like, go tell it, um, because I promise when, when, when we get everything together and we're able to roll out so everybody can dive right in, the, the lanes are going to be wide open. Um, so so that, that's, that's the best way I say you can get involved. I have, one, I have one last question for you. So what are some of the resources that you're lacking right now that I guess as individuals we can bring to the table to support money? We need $2.2 million. Um, and, and it's not, and I say that, I say we need two points. We have relationships, you know, those of us who are involved, you know, we know wealthy funders, we know wealthy white people who are like, yo, this is so like wealthy white people are like, oh my God, this is so dope. We want to throw money at you. And mm -hmm. we're like, no, um, not yet. We'll, we'll take your money, just not yet. Um, because black people have to own this from the ground up. And so $2.2 million sounds like a lot of money and to a lot of people it is. But in the grand scheme of things, it's really not a lot of money at all. Um, and so the simple reality is the faster we can raise that $2.2 the faster we can really begin to, um, to move dirt and to start building um, this, this city that we're talking about, where there'll be mixed use housing, um, there'll be um, you know um, um, uh, entrepreneurial um, opportunities, there'll be retail space, there'll be all of it. Um, and, and the churches will get to maintain their asset. They'll get to main, keep the land as an asset in a, in a lease and really begin to uh, develop, build wealth in that black institution. But people will be able to purchase those uh, properties that sit on top of it so then they can build wealth and then we just keep flipping this thing and rolling it and moving and moving and moving until we're so big we can't stop yeah that's what's up so man aaron got a question i think we can hit it we got a few more minutes and so aaron just wants to know man how do we dispel a lot of the economic myths that exist within our communities particularly since we start in below the poverty line Man, there's so many economic myths. I don't know exactly which ones, man, but I'll say the first, let's just say, yo, the first economic myth that we need to dispel is that um, we ain't got enough. Um, now, it is true, right, that we don't have what we deserve and we don't have what we should have. And that is the, that is the absolute truth, right? But um, we got enough, man. We, and if black people know how to make a way out of no way. Um, and, and a lot of us, got more than no way. We got a lot of ways, right? Uh, when our car breaks down, we can get it fixed. You know what I mean? Uh, we ain't worried about where our food comes from, right? And so I think um, part of it is just to, you know, dispelling this is the thing that just takes time. And yeah. so you got to do it. And I'm, I'm going to get real evangelical on you. You got to let your light so shine before men mm -hmm. that you do good work. And glorify the Father, because when people see us doing, and people can see that you can actually move forward and build wealth without beating people over the head, without um, harming each other and building each other up, man, more people want to be a part of that than they want to be a part of the other stuff. That's just my opinion. Yeah, no, man, I'm with you, man. I think, man, the the I think you said it earlier in the show is just getting over that inferiority of thinking that we don't have what we need. And I think what I want people to know, because I'm reading some of the comments is that I want people to understand what Edwin is coming with here is we're not asking anybody to help us to do this. We're mm -hmm. just saying we can do this. Like 
we have everything that we need. We're not looking for a handout from the government. We're not looking for, you know, uh, somebody to swoop in, whitey saves the day type of thing. This is just saying we have what's in our hand and we can do this. So Edwin, any last words? Tell the folks about Dallas Black Clergy. They could download it, spread it. What do you want to say to the folks, man? Yeah, I just want to say, yo, peace and love to all to all the people out there, man. Go go check out Dallas Black Clergy. You know, people that say, you know, people of faith aren't, you know, doing what we're supposed to do for the community. We're different. And there's a lot more, you know, as the Bible says, God has reserved to himself, you know, a lot more that have not bowed their knee to Baal. We're some of those people and there's so more, so many uh, more of us in the country. So check us out, you know, be a part. Um, and, and look, we, we have everything that we need, um, but we'll take everybody's money too. Um, we just want to make sure we got ours first um, so people can't buy it. But we'll take everybody else's money too once we get our stuff Get our stuff straight. Yeah, big facts. <laughs> McDonald, any any words? Now, nah, man, I, I I appreciate the conversation. You know, it's enlightening to me. Uh, like I said, you know, I came into this not knowing a whole lot about it. Um, I appreciate the fact that you're putting yourself on the front line and and doing the work. I think the hardest thing. There's a lot of fodder, a lot of talk, a lot of you know fluff, but no one's really willing to get their hands dirty. So I appreciate you you, you know putting yourself on the front line and doing it and. And actually walking the walk and not just talking it because you hear a lot of folks talking, but not a lot of people really want to do the work. So I appreciate you for that for real, for real. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Edwin is that dude, man. So yo, man, you 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 came to two really dope dudes. So we already know you know this, but yo, you are officially crowned a really dope dude, uh, man. Yeah, you, you are. I gotta get hats, man. Yeah, <laughs> yo, the merch is coming. We're gonna have everything ready. So man, don't worry, but Take this little, take this little token and, and, <laughs> and nah, forget that token. I want a hat. Hot <laughs> it's coming soon. It's coming soon. We got yeah, it, man. But yo, dude, man, we appreciate you. We thank you for hopping on. Everybody, please listen to what he said. Go to DallasBlackClergy.com. Download it. The blueprint is written out. All you got to do is share it and let um let folks know and share it across the world, across the country. Because this thing is for everybody. So this is two really dope dudes. Sign we out. And, and we'll see you next week with another dope episode.